0: are you ready to go offside because it's offside hockey talk with your host James Roberts ladies and gentlemen absolutely thrilled to be sitting down with the man who covers the Philadelphia Flyers and with the playoffs playing coming very very soon and the Flyers looking for their seating rights we get to sit down with Anthony mingioni <laughs> I think I just butchered it again my apologies my friend no, you got it correct. You're good. <laughs> How's everything shaking out every for you today? It. Oh, it's okay. It's a pretty hot
1: one here in Philadelphia. It's been we're in a little bit of a heat advisory right now, so um, better to be sort of better to be uh, indoors at the moment. before
0: everybody's sort of melting outside. <laughs> what a, what a time to be talking hockey, eh? <laughs> It's a, it, it is a strange feeling. Normally, this time of year, we're
1: wrapping up on developmental camps and kind of preparing our, you know, preparing for to, to for processing. You're going to be in the what would be the normal dead the sort of the normal dead zone time right now as we get into late July and start prepping some of the prospect interviews that you may have, you know if you haven't done already from the actual developmental camps then you begin sort of planning out what you're going to be doing for the whole summer with regards to remaining pieces to sort of keep you know obviously interest for the hot Rocky fans who are becoming you just become starved for content and now welcome to 2020 we are literally you know the 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 hose is about to turn on at full pressure and everybody's getting ready for for playoff hockey which again it is it is a very strange feeling. There's little question that um, that we're about to heat this thing back up, and the off season was just earlier, than, <laughs> uh, way earlier than expected, uh, obviously in this circumstance. And now we're in this strange new world of you know bu- of, uh, of of the Stanley Cup qualifiers and just being in two bubble cities, and it's just it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out as we go from virtually no hockey to literally what will feel like wall-to-wall hockey very soon.
0: Yeah, nine... What is it? Nine days, there's 52 games, there's a little bit something for everybody. Obviously, there's seven teams that aren't in it. you got to pick a favorite after that, but 52 games over nine days. That is absolutely insane on the brain and the eyeballs.
1: It is. It's just... I mean, there is... If you want... If you've been, you know, wanting or starving for hockey... Um, you're going to be getting it in, 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 in spades. And again, we've been with other sports. I mean, last night in Philadelphia, we finally had a a Phillies a broadcast that was as strange as it was to see no fans in the stands and some piped in and some piped in noise. That was still. This is the year where you kind of take what you get. And as strange as it may feel, and I'm sure people are you know grumbling about. Oh, I know nobody in the stands. Getting anything at this point is, you know, is, 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 as far as I'm concerned, any competitive hockey at this point is kind of a blessing. I mean, yesterday morning, my son and I were um, watching uh, the Formula One race in Hungary, and he, he, we, we were into it because it was just watching some sort of live competition where you don't know what the end result is going to be was a wonder. It was really kind of a, a good feeling. And once hockey gets started, I mean, if there's any sport that really sort of feeds off the noise. And it really is going to have to adapt. Uh, it's going to be hockey because, again, it's just, you know, the way the, sport, the, way the crowd sort of informs and ebbs and flows and, and, and the players sort of generate emotion off of that. And then they're going to be looking into the crowd. And, I'm sure, again, we've already seen some of the pictures coming from Edmonton. Uh, you know, some of the, where I, they're putting screens up in different spots where they didn't have it before. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. It's not going to be the same, but the thing is, again, once, I, I think the live audience, once they're watching it, where, you know, once they sort of get themselves used to this, um, then I think, you know, your eventually your ears adapt, your mind adapts, and then you just focus in on the game, the game in front of you as a fan. For the players, it's also going to be really interesting. But again, same thing. Once it's, once the competition, you know, juices get flowing, um, we know what's going to happen uh, in terms of, you know, it, the first hit, and then all of a sudden you just kind of feel, you know, the, that the old energy kind of coming back to you uh, again. And it's going to be again, it's going to be fascinating to watch those first few games. Uh, whether it's the round robin or, or any of the play,
0: or, or obviously the, uh, the playing uh, series, it's going to be
1: fascinating to
0: watch. It's definitely going to be fascinating to watch, and a lot of things coming out. I guess today, John Shannon reporting the NHL is going to do a five second delay on the world feeds so that way if players do end up swearing on the ice or anything's picked up, it can be kind of vetted out before it gets out to the national audience. Um, I was kind of looking forward to hearing that stuff. I don't know, you can always put up an advisory or, you know, this content may contain language that's not recommended for, but, I mean, I guess they want the younger viewers. They want the young eyeballs, too, to watch Mm -hmm. the game. So that kind of weeds that out. But I was excited for that. But the other thing that teams are doing, and I don't know if you've seen a lot of this, but I've heard from certain organizations that they're actually asking fans to record different chance, like, you know, go Leafs go or get excited for a hit or a power play or whatever, a goal, um, and might be able to pump that in, I'm just wondering how much a team that is the home team on the ice during the hub playoffs gets to use those things throughout the game? Obviously, you just talked about the normal ebbs and flows, but... How does a team get to use those all the time or whatever to get their team pumped back up? And will it have any effect, like you said, if you're looking in the stands and you're not seeing people just going absolutely bonkers over what's happening? I mean, that's that's the thing. You, you can pump in the audio um, as much as you can, but
1: there is a certain, as we all know, there's, just, there's something organic about a live crowd and their reactions. That you know you can simulate only up to you can simulate certain things only up to the point. Your eyes don't lie. You're in the and 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 it's going to be really interesting in that respect. How the players are going to sort of feed and react to it uh, when this occurs, when they actually have these gains. I mean, they may you know if if you're pumping the 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 noise up to 11 and simulating it, the eyes again don't lie. You know that you know at the same time it, it. you're going to have to sort of generate the game itself, the competition itself, I think, for players beyond the chance. They're going to have to just kind of generate this motivation for themselves knowing that, you know, this, you know, at the end of this thing, there is going to be a, a Stanley Cup awarded. And, you know, as strange as that's going to be, if, when, you know, when and if that is, you know, when, when that, and, I, and we have to say if because, again, yep. there is there are no guarantees. That this is all going to pull off successfully, Um, if they get to that end point, you know the reaction. They're going to celebrate. Obviously, they will. They will celebrate on the ice. But again, you got to deal with, you know, what am I allowed to do? Hugging that kind of thing. You know, when we we've seen them with baseball players doing celebrations where they sort of simulate high fives. You can't. Hockey hugs are going to be unless you're wearing like like crazy full on, you know, breathing apparatus. I don't even see how you're going to be able to pull that off. So there's just a whole lot of adapting that you know that the, the players are going to have to, that players and, co- and coaches too are going to have to do, in order to pull in order to pull this
0: thing off. It, 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 it's it, it's a fascinating little. It's certainly be a fascinating experiment. Well, it definitely is a fascinating experiment. There's a couple things I want to ask you about. Um, I heard that there's about nine players now that are on the Boston Bruins that are unfit to play. Obviously, other teams have numbers as well coming out here and there. Um, when it gets down to the brass tacks, it, we're talking about this thing having to be basically perfectly airtight for it to go off without a hitch, I'm wondering you know, what happens when we get into this bubble and a team has what the Boston Bruins has per se now, nine players that can't play. What then deems a team... know basically unable to play and basically unable to have a fair advantage in this tournament if that does happen and do they pause that game and play it later what happens there what are your thoughts on that I think that's probably the most likely scenario is that you you kind of
1: again if you have a large number if you can sort of delay it and have a little bit of play um, but that's the thing everything seems to be on they're trying to get this thing done on a fairly tight schedule um, and you have to see, of course, uh, because obviously rosters are expanded. You have to deploy a certain number of players. Are you in terms of getting players into the bubble if they're not in it at, at the very beginning? Again, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how, in fact, what the protocols are going to be in terms of trying to pull that off. If you've got a large number of players uh, that are, you know, that do test positive while they're in the mid, while they're in the midst of this. Um, it's the risk again that's involved with trying to do this versus just, you know, waiting and waiting until you know December or January in this case to start up a brand new season and not awarding it. Again, all this is sort of a, a very much a rolling with the punches situation, yep. and um, it's going to be again it'll be fascinating to see if if and when these things occur. Again, once they get them inside the bubble, how airtight that's going to be. I mean, the other day we had. In Philadelphia, Jake Voracek was held off the ice because he had a, an, an inconclusive um, test, and then the second test came back, and he was and he was he was negative, and he got back out on the ice. So, what happens if you get that player who's doing testing and getting and and they're inconclusive, and that's the day of the game, and then you have to slide, obviously, another player in his spot. There is a certain if you got if you're trying if you're a coach, you know, and you're trying to develop a kind of rhythm. Amongst your players in such a short window, it's going to be the ultimate juggling act, I think, for Elaine Vigneault, Bruce Cassidy, John Cooper, you know Dan Quinn, whoever, yep. uh, you know Shelton Keith, if those things happen.
0: So I look at it like this: we're just talking about the airtight bubble, and hopefully it does remain airtight. And once they get in there, which is what everybody's hoping, you don't have any positive tests. I, mean, I think they're going to be tested every single day, or four times a day, or something to that effect. You know, if that does happen, I mean, I look at the UFC and, you know, that's a close combat sport. Those guys are coming together to the fight. I'm wondering, for players and everybody in the bubble, if everybody's testing negative and everybody is negative and there's no, um, you know, signs of COVID-19, why wouldn't you be able to do your normal celebration with your teammates and things like that? I mean, obviously you want to have as much social distancing as you can, but if everybody in that bubble and if it's airtight and it's, testing negative every single day you know then there's no covid there so i mean can it be business as usual or do you think they're going to err on the side of caution
1: uh it's a good question um i i think they'll probably roll the punch they'll probably allow them to sort of do my my feeling is they'll set some level protocol they'll know there'll be certain areas of hockey uh, maybe what they'll tell them is, guys, let's limit the. You know, if we do if we do a goal, let's maybe the maybe the protocol is, you know, you know, whoever was sort of who knows was directly involved with the play. Maybe you do that and just have like a few guys, a couple players. Don't make it like a dog pile type of situation. But again, what happens if it's like an overtime goal that sends the team to the next round? Uh, players' emotions are going to be what they're going to be. Um, they're going to want, but again, many of them are going to be not tight on the bench like they have been in the past, how they're going to handle line shifts and things of that. So it's going to be really, really interesting. Um, it's tough, again, until we actually see how they're going to do this. Um, again, we're, you're operating on a hypothetical that everybody's, at the, that everybody's going to be at 0% for an entire yeah. league. It's tough for me to wrap my brain around the fact that at all times you're going to be able to guarantee a, an absolute 0%. It'll be nice. Uh, maybe that, again, in that day it happens. But then what happens if one or two – all he needs is one or two players in a bubble and they happen to be in the same hotel. How, how are they handling that?
0: Yeah. It's, just, it, it's tough to really get a read on that. I'm not – it, it just is. What is your overall thought? I mean, we have the hub cities now. Obviously Toronto and Edmonton, everything's set up. Teams will be going there in about a week's time. Um, you know, Edmonton obviously had the storm, a little bit of the flood. We all seen the arena pictures. Obviously, that'll be all cleaned up and ready to go. But how tight do you think these things are going to be? And how do you think the players are going to cope? Obviously, this is something new for everyone. Um, you know, players are being asked in the daily, "What are you bringing with you? What are you gonna do?" And the NHL and NBA—they're all trying to set up different things and make it like a campus almost, where you can go and eat, get a haircut, do your normal stuff. You just can't leave. It's the best jail in the world. But I'm wondering for you, what's the read that you're getting from the Philly players? You know, how are they vibing off this, and how's the, how is how they handling it?
1: They, most of, I, of the fire players, and again, I will be full disclosure. I am. Not down at Voorhees uh, the practice facility. They kind of kept it to a very limited uh, number of people that are there. But I am tracking everything that's going on each day, and I'm in a, and I am in communication with reporters uh, who are down there uh, because they really the 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 flyer the flyer um, PR department really wanted to kind of keep things you know tight for those who were there on a daily daily basis. I, I write for a hockey magazine. I cover them daily from a from a podcasting and broadcasting perspective, but they did kind of want to keep things limited. But what I can speak to um, is that most of the interviews in this case, and again, you can take this as being sort of, you know, public-facing and everything else, that, you know, they're motivated to go down, especially I think for the Flyers because when this thing when this thing hit, they were on a really good roll. Um, despite their loss to the Boston Bruins, right before, which was their last game before – uh, before COVID, before the COVID nineteen uh, quarantines began to hit, Flyers were on a were on an, an, on a really really good run. They were close. They were right on the uh, on the Washington Capitals' tail. Um, they actually pretty much this throughout the season they had been really a difficult matchup for the Capitals um, this year, including the game that they won seven to two down in Washington. Um, so they were on a, on a for them it was it had to be really tough. For, for things to shut down so quick when they were rolling the way they were uh, on you know rolling four full lines playing really finally having a full grasp of the of the system that Elaine vino wants to play high four check uh, with with good defensive responsibilities coming back butting back on the play they had for the first time in a long time I felt like they had three you know, they were rolling four pretty well well balanced lines and 3d pairs that I thought were really ex- a, a balanced in terms of you know left d to right d uh, and obviously they were getting great goaltending out of at, at, at the time out of both carter hart and pretty good goaltending out of out of brian elliott so i think they are based on what i have heard based on what i have seen in interviews and what I've heard. they are chomping. they they are really chomping at the bit to get to get to um to get to toronto and get things going because they they want to kind of get things clicking they want to you know kind of Pick up as quickly as possible where they left off. So I think as most, I think a lot of NHL, NHL teams are right now. I think there's a lot of motivation for Philadelphia, especially with the opportunity since they're basically the number four team right now in the round robin. They've got an opportunity to move up the ladder quickly in those three games. Now, they, the, flyer, you know, the, 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 the general manager as well as the coach all have kind of said, you know, we're looking at seeing what works best in these games before the playoffs because they already know, again, that they're guaranteed to be in the in, in the main playoff round so they do want to kind of get things going but i'd have to also think those other players in the roster would like if they have an opportunity to jump the ladder a little bit and and, and try to get whatever home ice can be considered in in, in in a bubble situation uh where they have their chance and they they get last and they get last line change um that has to be i think a motivating factor for them they know the opportunity i think that is in front of them and that ultimately that's going to be one of the biggest motivating factors. I don't think there's anybody right now on that team that doesn't want to get in there, get to Toronto as soon as they can and begin uh, and, and begin act, active playing.
0: Definitely get in there and get get your feet on the ground and get ready for it. Um, i got to ask, obviously, with teams having the time off and getting prepared for this uh, since March, who do you think on the Flyers benefited the most from the time off, getting healed up, and maybe just getting uh, the headspace back to where it needs to be?
1: I would say Phil Myers defensively. He had an injury um, prior to it, so the Flyers were kind of at that time trying to get things back in order. Myers, again, for those of you who obviously knew him, and certainly from the queue, uh, was one of the best, honestly, one of the one of the most cageyest uh, acquisitions. Prior to a draft done by a general manager in a while, in terms of because Myers could have been easily in his draft, or could have been a second-round pick, and the Flyers were able to sign him and develop him fairly, and he he's climbed up the ladder fairly quickly to the point where he's had a very very good partnership with Travis Sanon. They have ver, they have very they, they have similar physical attributes. Myers is a, is a, is bigger than, than Sanon, but they're both big, rangy defensemen. But Myers, I think, um, benefited to get being able to get him back. Uh, certainly at full health from his injury. Uh, much of the rest of the lineup, for the most part, is healthy uh, and was healthy going into it. Um, again, you probably allowing a team that plays, and again, I'll say it's probably a heavier style like Philadelphia does um, with bigger players. Certainly, they, I think, you know, in terms of the, the physical matchups and things of that sort, having, you know, Sean Couturier. Kevin Hayes. Hayes obviously has been outstanding here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, certainly he had a bit of disappointing stretch when he was uh, when he was traded to to Winnipeg, but he's fitting exceptionally well. Hayes, um, and really has kind of provided not just you know on ice, really good on ice play, but I think the, the levity sometimes needed that during a long season in the locker room uh, that that's necessary to keep the players loose and ready to go. Uh, but my, I'm going to say, again, in this circumstance, Myers, any of the uh, – is there any of the other veteran players? They're not an except. again, they're not – they don't have what I would certainly call an old, uh, an older roster, although they have and certainly have acquired some – you know, last offseason acquired some veteran players to augment the younger players. A player I think who also probably really could – I think and sticking with defense in this case, uh, the top pairing of, of, of Provorov and Niskanen, um, the two of them together have been an – I think they've been an excellent pairing together. Ivan Provorov has been really since his rookie season has been, you know, sort of looking for that that partner that worked really well with him, and I think Miskinin, who was coming off of an injury, was coming off an injury the prior season, came in really well. The older veteran players get a little bit of again a little bit of a breather in this case, um, but again a guy like Provorov who was used to getting a ton of ice time. He, I know for a fact, he you know he went he was with his uh, Billet family in, in, in Wilkes Fair when he was playing obviously for the Youngstown Phantoms before his draft year before he went uh, to Brandon, and basically was getting as much ice time as possible. And he's he he is like a he's like a mach- he's like a hockey machine. He will just continue to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice because that's just how he's wired. So he get not only from the amount of usage he had during the season, he got a bit of a breather, kept himself going. So I feel like the two def- – I think the defense is critical for Philadelphia, but especially I think those having Proverov at full at, at full tilt, ready to roll, and having Myers healthy, that allows the Flyers to roll three, to three I think pretty good defensive pairs in this
0: case. Um, you know, if all things are equal and everybody is healthy. The other player I really want to know about, obviously, is Carter Hart. We all know he's a super, uber-talented goaltender. The expectations for young goaltenders going into the playoffs usually is very high on themselves, and the fan base has got to go in too, and the pressure is there. You look at Merzlikens and Corpus over in Columbus as well. Um, I'm wondering, though, specifically with Carter Hart, do you think for a young goaltender he's ready for this pressure cooker, obviously being off, then the pandemic, then a quick training camp and right into the thick of it, um, you know, goalies love mental preparation, and a lot of people say between the years is the most important part for goaltenders. Um, and this is just throwing a wrench into everything. Do you think Carter Hart comes out strong, or is there going to be shakiness from goalies around the league? Do you think
1: it's going to be? It'll be interesting to see how that kind of game. Until you're actually in competition, it's always going to be tough to say how, how things are going to play out. This is what I will say about Hart, and this has been known since his, since the year that he was drafted. He is very much, he is about as, I think for a young, a young man, and, I, and this goes to interviews I've had with him, he just comes off as, you know, as young as he is, he, he, he comes off like a 30, 35-year-old in terms of his maturity level, He has got a good, I think, a good mental grasp on who he is and what he is capable of, and we all know, obviously, the reports. Obviously, you know, obviously, he's very open about that. He he speaks with a a sports psychologist, has been doing so since he was a young man. Since he was, you know, it's funny saying a young man that he still is in this case, but at least, you know, since he, you know, since, since his early teen years, because he. Knew what he wanted to be and and and, and was developing along those lines. And we all saw obviously his performances in in World Juniors. I think in many ways because he had been in in many ways. This is where his World Juniors experience he can draw on that where he lose where he, he briefly lost the job and then gets it back and helps Canada win a gold. Um, that's something that I think mentally they can draw because again it is. It's, to me, the World Junior Championships—if you're getting into the championship round—is as much of a pressure cooker as the Stanley Cup playoffs can be at times. And you're talking about single limit, you're talking about you know final elimination. You better come to play or else. Hart said basically in an interview, "I've been preparing for this moment my whole life," and he said it with a lot of quiet conviction. Like the moment's here, and I—I I feel like I, I, I'm going to be ready for it. And again, it's going to be unique, I think, for young goaltenders like Hart, like Ms. Lurkins, Because again, here we go back to our initial conversation of you're playing in the playoffs, but this is, you know, you're you're in a in a, in, a, in a completely unique environment. Yep. Um, without the crowd, without the fervor of the normal of the of the energy that you would have from the crowd. You also have a vision perspective as well um, in terms of the seats, and I've heard this in the past, where if the puck goes high, if you've got a crowd, you know, a, a goaltender can kind of visualize and see where the puck is. Now, in an empty rink, it can be a little bit more difficult. So, you know, sort of whether or not we're going to see sort of freak moments like that where the goaltender is because of this the, the environment that they're in and they have to adapt to those things. Again, Philadelphia is fortunate in the fact that they are one of the four seeded teams, that one of the four teams in the robin. So they can get used to these at least at least three an exhibition game plus those three games to get themselves acclimated to the Toronto environment. Whereas if you're one of the playing teams, you've got your exhibition game and you're right into you know a five game series. You're right into a five game series where if you slip behind so much as a little bit, your performance is down. Your season's going to be over. Yeah. So I think if you adapt to those little things, I don't think mentally it's going to be an issue for them. I think it's just adaptation to the unique environment that they're in that goes beyond what will be a normal playoff.
0: The follow-up to that I'll have is for the entire team. So if someone asks you, the Philadelphia Flyers will advance if this is going, what needs to be clicking for the Philadelphia Flyers?
1: have to be basically playing the game that they were prior to the Boston uh, again they, they had a tough time with the Bruins the Bruins were able to match up with them extremely well plus you look at the Flyers and there's not a bellwether like, high level sniper the, to me the Ford, again you have Giroux, who again is more of a playmaking winger but he can score obviously um, your, your, your goal scoring you're going to have to kind of rely a bit more on Travis Konechny, you're going to need a bit. You're going to need some really, I think, um, a strong performance out of Joel Farabee, who's likely going to be playing in the top top six. He Farabee's the one I think he he and um, he and Konechny, if they can get uncorked and scoring early on here, that I think makes things a lot easier for Philadelphia. Overall, though, I think Philadelphia has the advantage of, I think, of, of, of a defense that is got a lot of young horses on it, but I think they're augmented really well by there, by having a Matt Niskanen who has been through the playoff wars and is a recent cup Cup winner, leaning on the experience of a Justin Braun on their blue line as well from the third pairing to give them quality minutes. The Flyers basically, in my mind, have to be able to roll for, for, for at least two periods of the game, successfully rolling their four lines and three defense pairs get and have to get good goaltending out of heart. I think the Flyers overall are set up to win in their first – I think they can win a first-round playoff series. When we get into the final – when we get into the, the conference semis and the conference finals, it, it becomes, in my mind, as much about matchups. But, again, they haven't played in almost three – again, four months, and we can lean on the other statistics that we've had before on how they played against certain teams to me even more so than in the playoff than than in a regular playoff format those numbers kind of go out the window this is a very unique circumstance but for Philadelphia to advance they have to continue to play the game they're playing they need a I think they need a maybe just a little bit more goal scoring threat Um, get good goaltending I think out of heart um, continues obviously the improvements that they have in the penalty killing in the area of penalty killing as well. That was the probably the one of the big there's, uh, the penalty killing in five on five play was probably the biggest reason for their jump this year. But especially penalty killing, which had been a real issue for them the last several seasons, combined with the coaching that they've gotten this year from Vino's staff. Again, having three four having three NHL head coaches on the same staff <laughs> that's I crazy think it, it, has been huge for this team. Um, but again. Strong penalty killing, uh, timely goal scoring in this circumstance, um, and again a good, again a a good strong performance out of heart, and again getting some, uh, uh, hoping that Konechny continues and other players, and then hoping as well that you know your other lines can provide a lot of you know can can put pressure. Uh, on other teams as well. And that's the one thing that Philadelphia was able to do, and, and that's the reason why they were really good at getting into the third period of game. They started off better in the first period this year, but they especially were strong in the third period. They were, unlike in past years, they were closers this year. If they had a lead going into the third period, they were pretty good at locking things down. And that's going to be, and, and in, a, in a close battle, that's going to be extremely important for them. Um, especially if any of the home games that they have where they have last change and can get the matchups that they need.
0: Well, you know, locking games down in the third period is something the Toronto Maple Leafs need to do as well, but yes, Philly locking that down, that's a huge step in their... their, progression as a team. The thing that that uh, strikes me for this squad, and you look back last year with Layla Anderson and the St. Louis Blues, the boys had something huge to play for and to drive for and strive for, and I look at the Philadelphia Flyers this season, and you, we all know about the Oscar Limbom story, um, you know, with the Ewing sarcoma and then ringing the bell. No better moment this year so far to watch that, especially if you're a Flyers fan, but I think that's something the Flyers will have you know, in their mind as well, you're doing it for Oscar. You're playing for him, and the team rallied around that. It was a rallying cry, and sometimes you need that. It brings everybody together. It's it's a common thing. I'm wondering, are the boys uh, pumped up to play for Oscar as well? Still,
1: yeah, they are for sure. That's many of the comments. I mean, Kevin Hayes certainly again, who's kind of become sort of the, the one of the again one of the players. He's certainly always willing to talk, and he is a unique he is a unique individual. The running joke I always ever call him the Duke of Dorchester because you know he's from Dorchester, Massachusetts, and he just kind of has this sort of just this 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 personality that kind of that, that you know permeates that locker room, and I think helps with their confidence. He said himself, he said if he wasn't for the uh, Oscar, if it wasn't for the fact that you know he had his, his shape, that he was so positive, you know, you know, working through this, and I think it's definitely a, 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 a it's been an emo, a, an emotional rally cry to see you know. How he's kind of persevered through this, him getting on the ice, you know, in, in that environment, you know, one, you know, just just in a light practice environment, but seeing him out there after you know everything that occurred after the surgery occurred, obviously we now everybody knows now, obviously um, you know the rib bisection that had to be done as well, and there's there's really and there's also I think they take a lot of hope in the fact that Oscar, in the future, you know, obviously we have to see how things go over time that there is a chance that he can resume his NHL career. And that was the thing about Oscar was that he was one of the team's leading goal scorers when it happened. I mean, yep. it was devastating. And if you have a healthy Oscar Lindblom coming into his own as, as such a complete forward, because uh, he already has already – he, he had such a great partnership, I think, playing on a line with, Couturier, with Sean Couturier – and Travis Kinetney. It was such a tremendously well-balanced line because you have two exceptional defensive players, uh, and, and and a player with the you know the school the scoring prowess that I think Konecny possesses. It was a tr- it was a wonderful line to watch, and to think how much more of an of a matchup nightmare Philadelphia could potentially be with a fully healthy Oscar Lindblom, if he had a full season, obviously to play. He was really just a handful for teams to deal with, and the hope is again as he goes forward and everything has to be obviously with abundance of caution he has excelled in every step that he has taken with regards to coming back in, in, in regards to this and again the hope is and you cross your fingers that you know he can come back and, and get some of if not all of that back I don't know again it's such you know it's such it, 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 you know, cancer is such a, such a difficult enemy to deal with but I do believe that he is definitely a ra- he is definitely a rally point for them um, in terms of the you know if there's a if they they need to have a moment where they have to persevere you know that's that's something that can give them an edge uh in that in, in that circumstance I, I would say that that's you know that that that's something that you can definitely look at
0: no, definitely. Like I said, with the Layla Anderson, the St. Louis Blues, it it just echoed that, you know, and just how much passion went into it and the boys being very excited for her. You know, I could see the same thing happening with the Philadelphia Flyers and having a great season that team did. Now it gives you guys the chance to play the, the seeding round and obviously you may actually get the chance to play either Columbus or Toronto and I'll play devil's advocate here and say that Toronto takes it Um, Toronto has a one-in-four chance of facing the Philadelphia Flyers. If the Leafs were to go up against the Flyers, and I know I'm putting the cart way before the horse here, but if they were to match up together, what do you think the advantages Philly has over Toronto, and how do you see a series like that going? Toronto with the speed, and then obviously Philly with the heavier kind of style game.
1: See, the one thing that I think Toronto will have here is
0: that you'd be going up against an opponent that I think also
1: has a heavy style of play in Columbus. Uh, would behoove I think Toronto in terms of if they can get past that first series against Columbus because I mean I'm, I I will, I've been fairly public on this is that I I think Columbus that the Jackets are a, are a tough matchup for the Leafs I really do yep and in their style of play they're pretty dogged uh, in how they play they're an exact kind of opponent that can give the Leafs a lot of problems however if the Leafs are able to get past them and let's say Deviled advocate let that you know we've seen the deployment. Of, of, of a new Matthews line with Tavares and Smarner. Um the key thing for Toronto I think against Philadelphia is going to be able to again they have to get their they have to have their lines all on the same page they have to kind of have everything kind of rolling Nealander, I think in this circumstance probably becomes your second line center how is he coming along the one area that I think the Philadelphia really presents even more of a problem for Toronto, again, is defensively. The Flyers have options here. If They have all their defense in, in in place. The Flyers will be feel equally comfortable deploying the, the Pro-Rob-Niskanen pairing or the sanheim uh, Myers pairing against the Matthews line. Now, again, it's, it's going to be a little bit different in this circumstance if what Keith is doing in practice holds. But Philadelphia loves to turn play around back up ice. And it's the one area that Philadelphia, I think, has overall, will at least have Riley. Um, and they've got substantial firepower up front. I, I just have a lot of concerns about Toronto's defense uh, being laid bare by Philadelphia uh, in that series. If, if you're asking me, I, I, I would probably, pick, I would especially with Philadelphia, having, would have home ice uh, in that series uh in theory obviously quote unquote um with last change and Vigneault has the opportunity to get the matchups that he wants in the critical circumstances I think Philadelphia will probably win that series I would say I would if I had to do a prediction I would say Philadelphia wins that series in six but again I do need to see how the Leafs are playing against Columbus um, in terms of how well that line is rolling, or the other lines are rolling, how their defense is looking, I think goaltending wise, Anderson has the experience uh, over Hart, but I think in terms of tr- a talent level, Hart and I think Hart and Anderson are at, at minimum equal.
0: Um, I would say Hart's better. And again, in my up opinion.
1: front, Yeah, I would say so. But again, I do have to take in the the, the playoff experience in this circumstance does come into can come into come into play. Defensively, I think Philadelphia has the advantage, even with Riley there. Up front, I think Toronto's – in terms of some of the goal scoring that they have up front, certainly they've got superstar-level players up front, whereas I think Philadelphia's players are, you know, yeah. strong and they have some superstar players in this circumstance. But, again, that will come down to Me, Matt. Let's say me bringing up his play up to a Marner level uh, in that series, and it's, he can potentially do that. Whether or not Connecty, who says you know I have to watch my p's and q's and my chirps on the ice, does he decide to sort of take on sort of a Brad Marchand style role? Because we know Connecty likes to chirp and yeah. try to get under the skin of some of the least some of the least players uh, in this circumstance. And I I have no doubt in this circumstance that Connecty would do that uh, in that circumstance. Certainly, we know Hayes <laughs> would have no compuncture trying to get under people's skin as well. Um, it's just, if I'm looking at it from a pure matchup perspective, I just like the way Philadelphia is playing, uh, coming you know, overall coming in this, and if they can get things up and off the ground quickly and can get on track quickly, um, I would say the Flyers,
0: I, I would pick the Flyers in six
1: games over the Leafs.
0: Well, you know, you won't get any complaints out of me. I know Toronto does have trouble with the heavier teams, and I'm hoping the fact that they played Boston for two years in a row maybe it made them a little bit more battle tested for these kind of matchups we'll see against Columbus i really hope they do put it to Columbus but now it was announced that Josh Anderson has been added to the Columbus roster um, that is a big time problem for the Toronto Maple Leafs if he's healthy and ready to go that's a big brulee for yeah. well i mean yeah. the shoulder i mean they help. they keep work. Mm-hmm. though the shoulder is obviously the the issue for him but I mean, if he's getting on that roster, he must be close. I don't know if he plays, you know, with the round robin or whatever you want to call it, the play-in. I don't know if he gets there or the next round, but... That's just another, you know, even a psychological wrinkle for the Maple Leafs to think about because obviously we know what he brings to the table and you already have a team that does it by committee in the the Columbus Blue Jackets and will run through a wall for John Tortorella. We've seen that last year. Now this year, without the star power of the Duchesnes and the Panarins and the Bobrovskis, they were still able to drag that team to the playoffs and, you know, make a lot of noise. So I'm nervous as a Leaf fan. I know that we have the weapons, but the only thing is it depends for us Our power play is supposed to be our deterrent Against physical play If the refs come out and are calling it Like they do at the beginning of a season Where everything is called and it's hypersensitive It may benefit teams that rely On the power play You look at the Boston Bruins Mm -hmm. as one But obviously if they call it like they do playoff hockey Where it's stingy penalties I don't think you can rely on your power play To get you out of trouble Yeah I would agree with that Again if it it is I think, if we're, not to oversimplify this, but I
1: think if it is a if it is a raceway of a series, um, then I think that it obviously will benefit the Leafs. But if it is the usual playoff grind, we saw it last year. Columbus, even though they don't have the star level players that they had before, and Panarin, and Duchesne to, to you know, there's something about Tortorella's mentality in terms of. He gets those guys to buy in. He got them to buy in since the beginning of the year in terms of it, – it, it, this is where John, I think, is at his, at his best in terms of getting players to kind of you know, believe that they are greater than the sum of their parts. And that is going to be – and if it is a grinder of the series, if it's close games um, and it's a physical wear-down effect, that's going to work, obviously, for Columbus' favor. But as you said, if the refs are calling it like the beginning of the season – with hype with a lot of power play opportunities for for toronto that can as long as toronto is clicking in this circumstance and i do yep. wonder in some ways whether or not that is something that Keith has in mind which is why he has uh why he's put Tavares on the left wing with uh, in practice with uh matthews and marner excuse me with with, with matthews and marner is that I want. There's a chance that if they're going to make these calls, these guys. I, I want my my top guys to be clicking on all cylinders through practice and everything, buzzing that puck around as fast as possible, and getting you know hoping that the the jackets are going to be too slow to react and you win the series that way. Again, until until the puck drops, how this thing is going to play? We know it's going to be hot and sloppy. I think here in in, in the play-in series, we just we know it is because yeah. you're asking teams to basically. After one exhibition game, kick it in the high gear, and it's going to be tough, I think, for a lot of teams. And I think a high, you know, a crazier, sloppier game, uh, you know, more of a chance of break, breaks with the skill, where the overall skill level of the players, maybe something that shines a little bit more, and more of a shinny style game, then maybe that's something that works to the Leafs' advantage.
0: Well, I hope so, because we know the Leafs, when the season starts, they're able to outscore their problems pretty well as everything's sloppy and the defenses are not locked down. So uh, I'm hoping for that for the Maple Leafs at least for the, uh, the play-in round, and obviously then everything gets set for the next round after that. i got to ask you, Anthony, before I let you go today, if you have to grab your crystal ball and look at it, who do you see in Edmonton on neutral ground playing for the Stanley Cup?
1: <laughs>
0: it's very hard to do that um, one. I,
1: It is. I'm going to say this, though. I think I'm curious to see how the Tampa Bay Lightning take what happened last playoff year. And I think overall, if you look at them on paper, talent level-wise, forwards, defense, the window for them is, I think... There is some concern. I think that you know, at a certain point, that you know that the window is going to close for their opportunity here. I think in in a neutral ground situation, again, they they draw decent crowds for the playoffs. But we also know during the season that the Tampa crowd, you know, that maybe it's not as difficult to get tickets in Tampa as it would be in Toronto. Let's say, Um, but I think I'm banking on the fact that the Lightning are going to utilize the veterans on that team, the bitter taste of what happened last playoff year, and it sparks them, I think, to and, and, and it, it sparks them, I think, to uh, to be the Eastern representatives in Edmonton. West gets a little bit tougher. It is a heavy, as we all know, heavy play. I know a lot. Some are thinking Vegas. Uh, I'm I'm not completely necessarily on board with Vegas, even though I think they're a lot a lot better. I think they're kind of a top-heavy team. I do think the Blues are going to have motivation here to, to 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 kind of to to move move things along here, but I can't keep the the Colorado Avalanche out of my mind right now. I really, if they get pretty good goaltending out of Grubauer, I think the talent level is there where they may be a little bit faster and a little bit better than some of the heavier teams that are trying to get their legs under them. Um, and it, was, it kind of tough me to say but I'm going to say it's going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning against the Colorado Avalanche for the Stanley Cup, and I think the Lightning uh, win that series and well, are the champs at
0: the end of this. I just look at the, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the weapons that they added at the trade deadline. You look at Barclay Goodrow, you look at Blake Coleman, and then the cast of guys they already have on that squad, which you look at the roster and in your mind you think, how do they fit all these guys under the cap? You know, and they got them all, and Vasilevsky between the pipes, and it goes on and on. So, that team right there, you're right. This is their window. This is the time that they should win the cup. But it goes back to what you just said. How do you bounce back from that playoffs last year where you got swept? And also, you look at a team like the Boston Bruins and what Cassidy's done with them throughout this season, you know, after not Mm -hmm. winning the Stanley Cup and having them come back and be so dominant. Can we see that out of Tampa? And can Cooper make that team? into what it needs to be to win the cup um I'm 100% with you though I talked to Rob Reese in February and I said my matchup would be at that time was Tampa versus Colorado for whatever reason Colorado just doesn't leave my mind as a team that doesn't want to leave the dance and wants that cup but I see Tampa as well walking away with the Stanley Cup at the end of it all and being the odd COVID cup champions come October Yeah, I I think so. That's that's the most likely. There are some teams certainly in the East and West in the play-in rounds
1: where I have to keep in mind. Columbus is one of those teams. Uh, Toronto, again, can they utilize the in quotations familiarity of home ice to their advantage here to get them potentially through the playoffs? If it's a high high octane series, I think Toronto has the. I think they have. Weapons up front. It's just I have my concerns about their blue line. Carolina is an interesting team to look at as well. Um, they also were a team that kind of went hell's bells at the deadline. But I, I Carolina concerns me with their goaltending. Uh, if, again, they have accepted they're exceptionally. You know, no, you don't get much more streaky than Peter Mrazek. But if he gets on a good streak, then you look at that that Carolina team and go, that's a team that could that could really do some damage. Uh, in, in the play. And so if we're looking at some of the teams that will be coming out of the play-in round and out wet, um, some interesting, certainly in this circumstance, I think Vegas, I mean, Vegas obviously is going to be in the in the round robin. Um, but there is some interest there. If, if, if you know, Connor Hellebuck can, I think he's going to be the, Vesna, I most of us would probably be in agreement that he's, he's the likely Vesna trophy winner this year. If he can overcome and sort of be the grand viewer of that <laughs> team to overcome a pretty subpar defense in front of him. That's another team in many ways that has, has horses up front. Vancouver is interesting to me um, as well. So there's some teams that are in the play-in round that I think can do it. But overall, I'm going to stick with Tampa having you know the the, the motivation. Uh, and the bitter taste of what happened last year to act it not to you know let it be a ghost for them but for it to be a motivating factor especially since you know they were forced to not play for 3 4 months in this circumstance i don't take boston lightly at all it's just i don't know why it's one of those classic you know boston playing extremely you know playing well but i, hope, I feel like you know it's you know the I, I, if it's a betting thing i'm still sort of edging towards the field versus boston in the east so that's just, again, my take
0: on it. No, I agree. And being a Toronto fan, I don't want to see Boston go on another run. I've had enough of that of my lifetime, and I want to see something <laughs> new happen. So hopefully, and I really want it to happen because obviously for me, there's unfinished business between the Leafs and the Flyers. The last time I seen those two play in the playoffs, I was in high school, and I watched the Toronto Maple Leafs get eliminated by Jeremy Roenick. At a high school dance in the cafeteria TV, so that memory is forever etched in my brain. So I want something new to happen, and I want it to be the Toronto Maple Leafs playing the Philly Flyers, and maybe advancing, and finally having this young talent accomplish something on their resumes.
1: Possible, and, and for my end, I actually was—you know, it's 2004, so I actually covered that series at least from the home perspective. So that was on the road right before Philly. Then ended up playing. Tampa in what is was now I think we'd all deem be one of the more classic Eastern Conference Finals that we had, uh, but that was quite a that was quite a playoff year and that was quite a series between Philly and Toronto going back and forth. But yeah, I remember that distinctly well from covering it from the home at least because uh, not traveling obviously up to Toronto, but covering it from the Philadelphia perspective here. And, and, and here, so I hear you on that front. It, 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 would, it would if I was when at your age at that point I would have that would have been a tough, uh, it would have been a
0: pretty swallow. <laughs> it definitely was. Well, Anthony, I want to thank you for taking the time. And before I let you go today, I want you to tell people where you're right for, where they can find you, all of your stuff, all your, um, your links and bios and everything. I want to make sure that everybody gets onto your stuff. And obviously if the Leafs are playing the flyers, they're going to want to pick apart your, your articles and everything and find all the info they can get. So, uh, the, uh, print magazine
1: I write for is called Center Ice Philly uh, Center Ice Philly magazine it's mostly in print uh, so I probably won't be able to get that there but um, I will be writing for sportsology.net uh, some analysis uh, sportsology.com my co-host my off the post radio podcast goes Wes Cohen's website so I'll be having some, some thoughts and reactions to the, se- to the playoff series as they go on there uh, my podcast of course is off the post radio which is uh, available on, uh, we, we broadcast live on Talk Shoe on, on weekends and Sundays of late in the morning, but we kind of set that up so you can follow that at, at Off the Post Radio. Um, beyond that, I also, uh, panelist on the Hockey Buzzcast uh, as well with Mike Algello with, uh, and, and Eklund there. Uh, Mike, of course, is also my co- one, of my co- one of my co one of my other co-hosts for, uh, for Alt the post radio so we kind of cover a lot of different areas uh, throughout hockey and not just our specific teams that we cover in this circumstance so again the main places you would find my stuff is would be uh, for the most part would be if you have a can get a copy of centerized Philly magazine but again if, if that's obviously a tough one there for if you're in the Toronto area or any place else so sportsology.com I'll we'll have some stuff during the playoffs there also uh, podcasts uh, at all the post radio as well as me being a panelist on hockeybuzz.com
0: well we'll make sure everybody tunes those in and we'll make sure that all the links are there for people to follow along i want to thank you very much for taking the time i know it's a busy time with everybody gearing up and so much to cover so sir thank you for swinging by offside
1: my pleasure thanks so much for having me on
0: there you go ladies and gentlemen as you heard that is the man that covers the philadelphia flyers for many different entities you can listen to him in all the places we just discussed be sure to check out each and every offside. huge shout out to muskoka spray foam installation and highland custom builders for sponsoring the show huge shout out to mbko for getting us all dressed so finely and a huge shout out to manscaped.com be sure to make sure you check out the Lawn Mower 3.0. It's getting close to hockey season, guys. we got to make sure the pucks are shaved and ready to go and fresh for the playoffs, especially in summertime. You don't want to be sweating it out and feeling gross down in the man jungle. So get the Lawn Mower 3.0. Head on over to Manscaped.com. Use the promo code OFFSIDE20 for 20% off your order and free shipping. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is Offside for today.